Kabo, Karibu, Sambonani, welcome to African Workplace Insights, the podcast, your trusted companion for understanding and advancing all things work-related across Africa. I am your host, Olu, and for the past seven years, I've been navigating the world of work in Africa. I'm super excited about what we've got for you today. Take a listen and see you at the end. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of African Workplace Insights, the podcast. Today, I'm super excited about the topic that we're having and the person we're chatting with. The topic, leading with purpose, fostering trust in today's workplace. I think personally, this topic is very pertinent for African organizations as they look to define what the type of work would look like and their engagements with their employees. Trust is super important as well in the workplace because as we've seen, younger generations need this a lot more to have a sense of fulfillment in their environments. With me today, I have Lola Isong, a partner at EY, who is super poised and I think one of the best people to talk about this topic. Lola, do you mind introducing us yourself to our listeners today? Hi, thanks for having me. As you said already, my name is Lola Isong. And I look after the HR consulting business for EY in West Africa. Uh, super excited to be discussing a topic I think we don't really talk about enough. Uh, so yeah, and I'm hoping to also learn from your shared perspectives on the topic as well. Thanks. Thank you so much, Lola. Thank you so much. Yes, today is all about learning and sharing. And I'm sure our listeners also would you know, have a thing or two to you know, share with us post the show. But for now, we just, you know, keep the conversation going. Uh, Lola, I guess you already mentioned that you are a partner in EY and one of the things that you drive is the HR practice area. Um, so let us, tell us, um, how did this whole thing start for you? What was the pivotal moment that inspired you to commit to HR? So I think it's a couple of things, but it's not one thing in particular. Uh, what I'd say is it probably happened by chance. So I went through that phase where everyone kind of felt if you wanted to do anything, it was cool to say you were doing strategy. But at the end of the day, what is strategy, right? There's strategy in everything. So, I mean, I digress. I guess my first degree, second degree, was something that I thought played to my strengths, which was uh, selling ideas to people, you know, get to marketing and communications. That's my background. Um, and I got a chance to actually try out that work itself. But I know when I was in school, I kind of resonated more with the courses around business communication. So typically how organizations work, how organizations share um, accountability. So those types of things. I probably didn't know the name for it was HR, but I think I also had the benefit of having my mom uh, work in HR. I mean, her entire career was in HR. And she did leave one of the banks at the time as head of HR. So I guess it was in my blood. But I always kind of didn't think it was hard work. But as I came back from being a media officer and again, still following the passion, I loved what I was doing, writing press releases and what have you. But I just wanted to be part of solutioning. And I think my natural strength is working with people, uh, through people. And so that kind of led me to my first career, which was at uh, Philips Consulting. And I remember having the interview and being told, what would you like to do? And I said strategy because I thought strategy was cool. But then the founder, uh, now chairman, said to me, well, you kind of look like you're a people person from how you talk and relate. I think you should go to HR Consulting. And I fought it for a long time because I wanted to do strategy. But that's 20 years ago now. And um, it's been a ride. So I can't say I set out deliberately to go into HR practice. But interesting fact is, I actually don't think HR, in the sense, is a sustainable area of work. So I prefer to use human capital for the simple reason that capital, uh, like any other resource, can be developed, can be wasted, uh, can be scarce, and what have you. So. I'd like to say that's what I do, which is why I'm on the advisory side of HR practice and not lying. But there isn't one pivotal moment. There's been many moments. But I mean, I think I remain grateful for the opportunities, the experiences, the clients, both the difficult ones and the easy ones that have shaped the journey. But seeing that I've done this for two decades now, 
I think you could confirm that this is what I'm meant to be doing. Fantastic, fantastic. I guess you have found your purpose essentially <laughs> for two decades. That's, uh, that's quite the time, and I'm sure along those times, we've already been able to get so much value, so much impact. I think a couple of the listeners will, will understand and also identify with your idea around having multiple moments that push you towards HR, but at the same time, it was a bit serendipitous. You just essentially fell into it. Um, but now, I guess this has been the life now, and I'm sure you are, you are absolutely loving it. Well, uh, we, we can just segue into the topic now, uh, Lola, if you don't mind, the topic around leading with purpose and you know, fostering trust in, in today's workplace. I'm super curious to, of course, learn from you and have a conversation about it, right? And I guess we can start off with, you know, what you understand by, by this topic. I mean, our listeners are really curious about this. Can you share with them what you think the topic more or less is and you know, how it applies to the, to the workplace now? Uh, thanks for that. So, you know, I think before, I'd like to say before the pandemic, gosh, that very dreaded word. Um, leadership, running organizations was very transactional. Do X, Y, Z, I pay you this much. But the whole idea that there could actually be a continuous exchange of ideas or expectations was really not something that was mainstream. But with the pandemic being nothing any one of us at the time had lived through, it sort of became inevitable that we had to tap into other sources to get a sense of how to get by. Um, it was no longer enough to just be the employer, as, as well as it was not just enough to just be the employee. Both parties were going through a very turbulent time and really had to exchange ideas or insights to be able to reach a comfortable ground. And I think if you look at the organizations that sort of struggled, because every organization did, but you would notice that the ones who managed to weather the storm, even in sectors that were hardest hit, they bounced back because one thing was quite integral to how they run their organizations, and that was the fact that leadership was shared and distributed. So there is managerial, which is what comes with you being the senior people, you earn more money, you probably take the risks. But leadership suggests that every single person at all levels in the organization have a role to play in keeping the ship afloat. And that really is what purpose-driven leadership is. You know, it's a situation where all employees can take personal pride or meaning or personal accountability for what it is to keep uh, the organization's goals running or sustainable. So it's more or less what I would describe as the next level of participatory leadership. So everyone, all hands on board, because we really need to make this thing work. And I think the pandemic really helped us develop that new area. I also then like to say uh, trust for me, I think, is the currency of the modern business. You can have all the policies. You can have all the fancy systems, attract performance management, you know, all of those nice things we now see courtesy of digital. But if at the end of the day, there isn't that shared belief that, hey, what we get together to do here every morning, we all believe in it. What you say you can afford to pay me truly is what you can afford to pay me. Uh, who we say we are to our customers and our stakeholders externally is truly who we are internally. And I'm sure we can go through a long list. So, I mean, for me, purpose-driven leadership would be that connection of everything that allows us all bring to bear what matters to us, what is important to us. So when our personal goals begin to align with corporate goals and objectives, I think that's when you can describe leadership in that organization as being purpose-driven. And it doesn't mean it's kumbaya, by the way. It just means that, I mean, they would still have consequences for, for not doing what we've agreed to. But I think emphasis on that word, shared agreement, that this is what we're here to do and we would stick to it and accomplish it, uh, whatever it takes. I like the way you, you know, you wrapped up with, it's not a kumbaya, right? We're not just here to do, do a bit of a teletubbies on anything. We're here to work, but at the same time, it's, it's for us to uh, find meaning in, in what we do. Um, and I do agree that post-pandemic, a lot of these softer topics have become more relevant uh, because of several reasons, right? Uh, this disparity of work, you know, the employee being the one that, you know, I guess the, the employee exactly having a bit more power over the employer, you know, people choosing what they want to do and where they want to do it and how they want to do it. And employers were more or less forced to think or encouraged to think beyond just your pay and your title to the whole person in the workplace. So I do agree. And I think this is a topic that 
I guess we're still unraveling, you know, in the work workplace of Africa. But I guess we're get, we're having the right conversations that could push us forward. So, I guess for me, the next thing will now be how do you then encourage CEOs and business leaders who recognize that this is the next phase for them? This idea of what you've mentioned, participatory leadership. How do you encourage CEOs and leaders to take the next step and make their workforce or at least lead with purpose in the organization? How do you think they can go about it, at least from your experience or from what you've seen other people do? Uh, thanks for that. So I think when it comes to any leader getting on board that journey or that way of leadership, I think the most important thing first is to be very comfortable uh, with who you are as a person. So this doesn't suggest that you lose your individual likes or preferences, but it's a mindset that suggests that all views or all styles and all types are welcome here and will make it work. But you can't really determine what you would stand for or not if you're not sure, clear about yourself, who you are. So for example, when we look at, um, I'm sure you must have followed the trend of horrible bosses, uh, what have you, over social media at the time. And the blame was leveled a lot against a lot of the e-commerce fintech type companies run by young CEOs. But you know, if we're going to be honest, particularly for in Nigeria, we survived the pandemic largely because of the innovative um, mindset, attitude, and approach to these individuals. There's really, there really no blueprint. Bring all the views on board, bring it in, let's make it work, let's make it happen. But everyone has that blind spot, right? But you, you can't see how you're rubbing people off the wrong way. So a good dose of uh, self-awareness is important. And I think these days, emotional intelligence is now a skill, the skill of the future. So it doesn't matter whether junior or senior, something you need to focus on. So I think for me, the first thing would be understand who you are as a person, understand how your viewpoint, your actions and actions affect others. And then um, a good dose of empathy. So putting yourself in each other's shoes is a simple way to describe it. As a leader, yes, you are the boss, you take the decisions, you take the risk. But if you really want to be purpose-driven, it's important to have that humility to be able to step back and actually recognize and acknowledge that views and preferences may be different or may just differ slightly from what you're used to. And I think um, I think it goes without saying that drive is key. I think the word these days is great. So every time you hit a roadblock, you bounce back. You see challenges and limitations are actually motivation as against something to pull you down. So I think that's one characteristic as well of an individual who's looking to become purpose-driven. I like to think that being Nigerians or Africans, we have, we, I think we're probably born with that. It's in our DNA. So in this part of the world, if you are from this part of the world, obviously I'm, my context is Nigeria, so I speak a lot about Nigeria, but I know the listeners are accustomed. Grit sometimes or drive, as it were, can come from your genetic makeup, I think. Sometimes it can come from the shared experience or the lessons you have, um, you've acquired. But I think everyone's born with an innate desire to want to succeed. And that's where drive comes from. So you can't become, it's a good idea to start out saying, you know what? I will be a purpose-led leader because the world now has changed. And people want workspaces where they can be themselves and contribute. So a lot of that would come from you being able to motivate others, you being able to share your viewpoints, you being able to share lessons or stories of how you have bounced back from setbacks because a purpose-driven leader seeks to motivate as against control. But a lot of the ways in which you would do it is using your lessons or perspectives to get people to act in a certain way or behave in a certain way. Um, I don't like this next word, but I think I have to say resilience. That word was so, I mean, it's like if you can have something called resilience overload, but it's a good word, right? We generally describes your ability to adapt or bounce back or thrive uh, in mind of complex circumstances. And I think a purpose-driven leader is one who has to be resilient because when it comes to leadership, there are times when things might not go the way you plan. But you can't throw in the towel because there are, what, 99 other people looking at you for direction. And I think that's one of the biggest leadership lessons from um, pandemic. I mean, personally, I grew a lot during that phase uh, because I had to learn, for example, to lead a virtual team. Uh, at the time, about 60% of members of my team were hired through the pandemic. So I didn't know what it looked like. But I just had to, again, put into practice all of these things I talked about. My, I, I had to do a lot of coaching, a lot of engaging, a lot of interacting. 
we also had times when, frankly, I didn't know what to do. I also had the humility to say, hey, guys, how do we proceed? And that's also one sign. But I mean, it's not a perfect um, destination. How I say it? Now, it's a journey, right? The journey to becoming a purpose-driven leader. But at the end of the day, it's a leadership style that acknowledges that everyone has something to contribute. And yours is to really stare or lead by direction, example, and then to encourage others. Um, do you need me to say more, perhaps? Or just I mean, like, you can go for it. Like, if you do have a lot to share, please, please go for it. Go for it. I'm learning so much from what you what you're saying. So please, I'm sure our listeners want you to say a lot more. Please go for it. So I think creativity is also key, and um, because creativity would really creativity and innovation. There isn't one way to do it. There isn't a rule book. Yeah, there's a set of obviously values, which as a leader and working in the workplace, there are lines that cannot be crossed. But when it comes to all else, once you sort out the ethical and regulatory part, honestly, creativity is really important. I remember during the pandemic where, I mean, I've never had to lead a virtual team for such an extended period. But looking at insights, what was happening in society, people were having cabin fever. And there were some members of my team who, they moved to Lagos on account of work, but family members were not around. So we had to evolve a way to keep people going. And sometimes, because you're not seeing people, you're holed up indoors. It was important to just hear another voice to know you matter. But I was really at my wit's end for what to do. So I remember discussing with my team members, that, hey guys, what do you think we should do to just keep things going? And one of the suggestions that you know was, let's, let's meet every day. For someone like myself, who meetings are not exactly my favorite things in the world to do. It was a bit tough, but we agreed that, you know what, we would meet every day at the same time for an hour. And then last Friday of the month, we would discuss, do everything but work. But what it does was, and for someone like me, again, who didn't like routines, I had a larger part of my team now forcing me into that routine. But when I look back, at the fact that we didn't have any attrition during that period. Um, we certainly had very great financial performance. A lot of the strategies for how I survived as a leader came from learning from the people I lead. So imagine if I was stuck on the, um, the bus, I must have all the answers. I really would be missing out on a lot of, uh, a lot of good opportunities. So sometimes leadership can be from the back. Sometimes um, you can actually be led by your followers as a leader. And sometimes even when in acknowledging that you don't even know what to do, that's also leadership. Letting your vulnerability or lack of answers show so that another person can step up and actually give that direction. And really any leader who is able to accomplish all of those, what you're also doing is building the trust bank. Because what those your team members then feel is this is a leader who would not shy away from giving me opportunities. This is a leader who is not threatened by another person attempting to stand up or rise. I mean, I'm not there yet, but I'd like to believe, but we're not asking anyone of my team members to confirm, but I'd like to believe that those are sort of the things I try to do every day um, to become a more purpose-driven leader. Wow, you've really laid on a lot there to think about, and I'm sure our listeners would pause at this point and maybe self-reflect and ask themselves all these questions. Am I humble? Do I know myself? Uh, do I have drive? Am I resilient? You know, all, all these things are, are super important to, to you know, being a purpose-driven leader. And, and also building the trust as well, because if people see these virtues in you, they're able to play back to themselves and understand that I think this person is here for me and feel that safety at work. I think I have a follow-up question to, to what you've already said. Is, so now these are the qualities of a purpose-driven leader, right? But some people also want to know, how do I then craft? I mean, maybe I'm thinking about this in the wrong way and, you know, you're an expert here, you can correct me. But people also want to know, like, what is the purpose that we are driving towards? What is that flag that we're all following? So how does a leader craft that purpose? You know, organizations have maybe vision, mission. Is that what it is? Right, or there's something different that you know needs to unify the company and the uh, the employer and the employee, the company and the work together. Should there be sort of like a bond? I mean, can let me know if I'm thinking about this in the right way, but I'm thinking is there something like a tagline or a text or a, a vision, mission? And if that is if that thing exists, you know, how the leaders go about creating that thing so much so that he identifies with what you said and what the employees can strive towards. Uh, great question. 
And I think, honestly, a lot of organizations have fantastic uh, mission, vision, core value statement. But when you strip the shroud away from all of those things and you look inwards, it just bears no semblance to reality. So I think the first thing in knowing yourself, obviously, is to also know what within the parameters of your context is possible so that you don't end up being one of those promise and fail people, as we like to say here. So I think for me, the first thing uh, on that trajectory, if you're, if you're set on going on that uh, journey, which I think is a great one, by the way, ultimately, the experts would say that where organizations want to attain is that point at which employees' personal values aligns with the organizational values. And that sounds like a bit of a tongue twister, but at the end of the day, that's the sweet spot because you're not going to be able to pay the highest. You're not going to be able to offer the best perks. At some point, really, the novelty or excitement of a paycheck, it's just three months. After three months, you're like, oh, this is not enough. On to the next one. But really, can you divorce yourself from your purpose or your values? Most likely, you can't. So that's really what organizations should strive to do. That sweet spot where the two can actually align. And how do you do some of those things? So one, for example, would be not even assuming that you have all the answers. Crowdsourcing the ideas for how to do it. I mean, I shared the example of how I thrived as a leader um, through the course of the pandemic. I just could not, I didn't have all the answers. And it was me raising up my hand saying, you know what, help me guys, I'm, I'm losing it here. And then the next thing is to make sure we can connect the work to a greater objective. And then, of course, you want to make sure that you have a big social impact pillar. It sounds like marketing strategy, but it's not. Most people today, and if you look at the fact that there are more millennials in the workplace and generally even in the population available for work, things like social connection, social impact, sustainability are not topics for just the annual report. It actually matters. So people are saying, all through how we manage our stakeholders, all through the business um, framework or networks, we expect to see certain levels of commitment to the environment, to the society. And those are not nice to have. They're must-haves. So those are some of the things organizations should focus on in crafting that ideal. And guess what? You don't even need to write it, but people can feel it. And you don't even need to be told that this is what this organization stands for. And I think... It's not unattainable, even though people tend to think you, you can't really get to that point where employees feel so plugged into where they work that they don't think they could do something else. And I think it's really possible. But the only way you can know if the purpose and your employee values or employee values and the values are aligned, the only way you can know is really if you keep asking the questions of yourselves, are we doing it right? And having the humility to take that feedback and even the, having the humility to put your hands up to say, you know what, this isn't working, we're going to change it. So there are so many examples or instances. I think the putting out the statement is really just for PR. But at the end of the day, it's what happens when the lights are off, how people are feeling. That's what helps us determine whether your trust quotient is really commensurate with who you say you are in public or outside or on your website or whatever it is. Well, I think I think this this podcast will definitely be a call to a lot of self-explanation, self-introspection, asking ourselves that the, the plaque in front of the door when employees walk in, is that the life that we're living here as an organization? Um, sometimes, as you said, there's quite a disconnect between what is said on the websites and what happens on a day-to-day. The culture of the company um, could be at odds with what its mission statements. Um, and I love what you said about millennials making up a huge part of the workforce available. And, you know, the, I guess most companies right now are filled up with people who are the same age to make, make up the millennials. I and mean, we even have the Gen Zs, you know, entering these, these workplaces. I think for these people, I mean, which I also fall into the same category as well, um, trust is a very crucial part, you know, of their business. It, it's a factor of the, of the work that they do. They want to believe. They want to believe that they're heard. They want to believe that work that they're doing matters, and of course, the purpose is important. But I want. I want to understand. Maybe this is a question that um, other people also want to know as well. How does this factor across you know, different age groups? Do you think that it's something that became more important, as you said, post-pandemic? But you know, maybe the the more experienced age groups didn't really feel this need, and it's just coming up until now. Or has this always been there, in your opinion? And we're just feeling the effects right now, or feeling the heat right now. 
So I think it's always been there, right? But it's it's most convenient for us to use labels to label people. But honestly, can you tell me that even our forefathers who worked in the era of when Nigeria Railways was Nigeria Railways and all they did was even push coal uh, into the furnace for the trains to move? Are you saying they didn't like recognition? Are you saying they did not like to be respected? I mean, if they felt respect was not necessary, they would not have set up the Nigerian Labour Congress by Paimodu, who at that time obviously set it up because workers wanted to demand better rights and they needed representation. So I think the needs to be appreciated, the needs to be comfortable, the needs to have meaningful work, uh, the needs to be compensated fairly, the need to be heard, the needs to be part of a social ecosystem or network that is nurturing and supportive of your goals, I, I think it's something that is common to all generations. I mean, we won't be talking about self-actualization being on the top of the hierarchy of needs if it was something only millennials wanted. But what I think millennials and Gen Zs have done for us is they have amplified some of those innate desires that have existed across all generations. So they are like the fearless ones, the ones who can say, because guess what? Their side hustles are probably paying them 3x what your organization can ever <laughs> pay. But because they feel they have so much energy and so much to give, um, they're keeping you, well, they're masking your business as the main hustle, but really you're the side piece. So I think they've only just amplified it. I, I think every single generation wants all of those things. We all want the same things. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> it is actually quite funny. <laughs> 3X of the main business. We're just doing this because we like, we like what we're doing, not because uh, you are paying us more. And yeah, that makes sense. I, I love the perspective that you brought about, you know, historically, this has always been there, but there's a world where it just became more vocal now because people have maybe a bit more, maybe social media penetration and we can talk about these things in a larger scale. I think so now that we have established that purpose-driven leadership and trust is super important for the workplace, like, I think the next thing is for us to now go about making this work. And I guess employees can, can also say that. What about, in, what about what of cases where employers or sorry employers can also say what about cases where employees are not feeling to the purpose of the organization in that case what do we do i mean we've gone out we tried our best i'm humble i ask questions i'm self-aware I, I do all these things you say lola but my employees are not you know vibing quote-unquote with me as well i've not seen them identify with the efforts i'm making or at least with this our mission vision statement which i'm trying my best to to follow what do i do in that in that case um when there's a disconnect there Great question. You know, so the whole thing is a journey. It's not something you would get to in one day. But what you must never let happen is not to continue to find opportunities to improve. And of course, as you know, when you get on a bus, there's a primary or final destination, but people would alight at different points. And I think both employers and employees need to get comfortable with the fact that the employee that was good for you at a certain stage it's not necessarily the same one that would work for you when you get there. And so I, and vice versa as well. And so we must get very diligent about recognizing when it's no longer working. And by the way, the split does not have to be turbulent. It's just a question, the same way you decide, you know what, I'm going to check out of this relationship because it's no longer working for my growth. And you stay friends. And it should actually be the same thing. So I think if you have that approach, so the same way we treat business deals, when to exit, when to come in, we do that to the employer-employee relationship. I think it helps everyone stay accountable. And what are those things you must do? You know, I did say that we should make it a habit to ask ourselves regularly, am I doing well? Am I sticking to the rules? Have I, you know? And same for how we also reprimand and check out anyone who seems to be acting contrary uh, to what we've agreed. I mean, imagine, for example, you've got a box of grapes and you notice one was getting moldy, but then you leave it in there. The next day or so, it would have stopped two or three. And then before you know what's happening, you've got an entire crate of sour grapes. But if you had removed the two or three, you still have enough to, you know, have your salad or whatever. And it works exactly the same way with values and organizations. If you say you're an organization and you want everyone to be empowered, you want everyone to demonstrate leadership because leadership is something you would recognize, acknowledge, and compensate. It then means that across board, even up to the janitor, you should empower them to be able to make those changes that show that they are walking the talk. 
you should also empower them to be able to call out whoever is not leading or living up to what you have agreed would be the standards. Uh, you obviously will not get there in a day. But things like your regular check-in sessions, your town halls, you know, leadership behavior are some of the ways you reinforce what matters to the business. And then when you've got one person who's even stepped out of line or out of agreement, regardless of the person's position, when you check out that person, what you're saying is we will stand for this and would not protect anyone who falls short of what we have agreed is the way forward. So having a purpose-led organization doesn't mean that there are no consequences for wrongdoing. And like I said earlier on, it's not only Hakunatada moments. You would obviously have good and bad and that's part of the experience. That is part of the experience. Uh, it's a mix of all, all things. Uh, it's uh, different shades of gray. I think we can continue on the same topic of the employee disconnect. So how do you encourage employees who want to stay where they are, right? But maybe see a clash between their personal values and the organizational values, right? So like how do you encourage them to influence change from their level, seeing if maybe sometimes they don't have the leadership potential or leadership power, but they want to make things work. They want to steer the company in the right direction, uh, right purpose. How do you encourage them to go about this if it's something that they have resolved on doing? So I think sometimes we fall into the trap that the only way progress is done is when it's some big bang sounding event. So what I always say in instances like that is start small, you know, and same for how you've got one bad fruit in the basket and then the whole badness spread. Same for good, right? In your little corner, in your team, in your desk, in your, what are you doing? to support that change or that transformation you're promoting. Because as you rightly said, particularly in climates like ours, uh, it does take a bit of courage to actually walk up to leaders and say, hey, I think this is what we should be doing, like this, like this and that. However, though, if it's an organization that actually compensates you or expects you to come up with innovative ideas and suggestions, then by all means, make sure your hand is up all the time. So it starts first from you starting small. It starts first from you understanding your context. And as I said earlier on, um, the same way you have cable TV in different bookies, it works the same. An organization might have been good for you at some point in your journey. But as you go on, as you acquire experiences, and not just professional experiences, it ceases to be relevant. If anything else, it becomes counterproductive to your growth. I personally do not recommend that anyone stay on in a place where there is conflict with their values. Because what ultimately will happen is a denouncement of who you are. and not is just you just have free falling mental health issues self-esteem issues you know all of those will come to play now for some or for a lot of us our jobs are obviously a source of survival so you can't just check out the first time you have an itch that this isn't going well but what i would say is have some clarity around what exactly you like or don't like prioritize it within the phase of okay i can manage this i can live with this or this is a non-negotiable for me by the time you do that assessment and your non-negotiable list is longer than your I can manage, then guess what? Your placenta isn't buried there. It's time to begin to make the moves. But you're not going to obviously do a knee-jerk jump. But you then have to make sure that next opportunity, you will do a bit more due diligence as to what leadership is like. What do they do differently? Because sometimes the pay is just really a bit. You take the pay and you realize that you've only just gone from fry pan straight into the fire. So I think it's a journey. I think first is do that self-evaluation because that self-evaluation gives you clarity as to what exactly is driving you. And then you take the rest from there. You take the rest from there and take the rest from there. I mean, this, this advice goes out to these employees who, of course, are feeling that the bit of clashing between their personal values and the company values. Or maybe they are feeling that it's a time on the road where it's time for them to alight, to, to make use of an analogy on, uh, on the bus. Um, yes, I think it's time for us to think about wrapping up here, but I really want us to um, expand this topic beyond just the companies. A friend of mine says that what, you know, um, uh, some said companies, countries like Nigeria are currently facing is a deficit of trust, um, where, you know, that, since the currency of trust is lacking, people are not, tr people are not able to do business well, or demand so much more from a typical Nigeria, just because of several things. I mean, we are painted as... I mean, hostile, painted as, I mean, depending on who you ask, Nigerian princes equals to scammers and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I'm sure this same um, scenario, I guess, in different shades sort of plays out in different African countries. 
Um, so I'd like to scale this topic to a level of society, really. How can you encourage us to put this to bear in society so we can build it up um, to that society that we want, that works for everyone? How can we have trust in society? How can we encourage the purpose-driven leadership and followership, you know, in the context of Africa? Uh, thanks so much. And that's a great perspective. So I fully align with the view. So my personal view is that a government is reflective of the collective consciousness of the people. So I'm glad you didn't go on the whole government is government that because government is actually a mirror image of all of us. So back to my analogy of it's not what you say you are on your website or on those fancy murals. It's really when, when, when the lights of what we see. So let's go to the microcosm of society as it were, because family is the first unit, right? What are some of those things that we're doing that is slowly chipping away from <laughs> larger society as it is? So, I mean, I'm not going to break any tables or call anyone out, but we are inflating bills for our Let's start from that level. We're inflating bills for our parents, you know, because they're like, hey, if I ask for straight up, they won't give me. Um, I, I mean, if you studied in Nigeria, you know, we obviously had to get money for our notes, handouts and the rest. Some people get school fees every month, all sorts of shades and sizes of things we do. Um, some people also prefer or superimpose trust on somebody who looks like them or speaks the language they speak, forgetting that there are other details you should look out for. So it's a very complex conversation when you talk about superimposing this topic on Nigeria. But what I would say is the same way I said, start small. On your own little corner, your own little corner, I beg your pardon, what are you doing differently? So at the home front, what are we doing differently at home? What values are we proposing? I mean, think about if you grew up in a certain culture, your mom doesn't or your dad doesn't want to see a particular visitor. And then they tell you, tell the person I'm not at home. It's supposed to be a white lie, right? But think about it. So if you've gone through a phase of tell the person I'm not at home, and then somehow the person is persistent, and you open your you're like, oh, it was so good to see you. And you're like, ah. But two minutes ago, this person. So it's really those little things that then add up to the big things. I personally think that our greatness is in the horizon. It's coming. It will happen. But we have to be honest first with that self-assessment. What do we really want? Because you can answer that question, what you want. Then you cannot really craft the idea of where you're going. And I think we should forget this idea that governments are just some imaginary set of people who sprung up. We put them there. They reflect how we think, how we act, who we are. So until we're very clear and at home level, we're doing those things that reinforce uh, how we think it should be. We will keep just going around in circles, frankly. I love it. I love it. Um, and you didn't call out anyone, even even my mother as well. <clears throat> <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you so much. So now we've reached, reached the, the lightning round, um, where I just asking rapid fire questions um, to wrap up the podcast. So yes, I'll just, you know, go for it. I know the drill, quick, quick answers here. So the first one is what books would you recommend maybe on this topic or maybe general leadership people to go and read um, and learn more? So there are loads, right? I think anything on Simon Sinek is very good because he, I think, you know, team leadership is, for the longest time used to be like a very weird, very difficult topic, very hard to understand topic. But I think people like that have simplified it. On social media, I like Adam Grant because he has nuggets around uh, leadership and they're very uh, relatable. So I think those are two people immediately that I have recently read and I think uh, would be very helpful. Uh, when it comes to building great organizations, I think you cannot go wrong with the pair who wrote um, Built to Last and then what's the name of the second book? Now, I read that for a long time ago. So there's so many. But I think in terms of easy read, quick to get the gist, uh, I would recommend ACMS. Yeah. Fantastic. Adam Grant is also one of my personal influencers. Uh, I really love his content. Um, his podcast is, is great. Rethinking. Uh, he recently re released a book. I'm hoping to get my hands on it as well. And I do follow him on social media. Simon Sinek as well. Um, I love his, his book. You can start with the why to see. 
if there's a world where in the future they will both feature on the African Workplace Insights podcast. Uh, fingers, fingers crossed. It can happen though. Yeah, touch wood. And these days, everything <laughs> is within reach on social media. So don't it give is. up the, the, the dream. It is. It is. I, I'm not. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Thank you for your encouragement. So the next question is, what do you think should be another podcast topic uh, for us to talk about here on African Workplace Insights? Hmm, good question. Uh, well, loads of things really, right? What I'm thinking. So give me a sec. I'm just supposed to be quick fire. <laughs> what would I really love to learn? Why do we say pay is secretive? Why do we think, or why do we think pay is going to keep a secret? You know, in the rest of the world, is saying, put out your pay, let people see, be open. But you still get all this, you know, pay is confidential. Like, what is confidential? The minute you offered someone something on, it's always an open secret. So I'd really mm-hmm. love to understand how that mindset came about and why we keep promoting it. The fact mm. that one person shouldn't know what the other is earning because you would have broken some major code of conduct or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Actually, and I think you're very spot on there. When I was trying to crowdsource topics on the podcast, somebody recommended this question around why I speak secrets. Like, I mean, can't I don't know what's, you know, this industry benchmark for my role? Why can't I know what the other person next to me earns? Why should I be you know, working on eggshells when I'm discussing uh, my salary structure or what I currently earn? So thank you. I'll take a note of that. And let's see if I can get someone to, you know, help us understand the reasons behind this, uh, this tradition or at least this, this culture. So the third question is, if you were to visit one place outside of your home country, uh, uh, within Africa, where would it be and why? So traveling actually is one of my favorite things to do. And if I wasn't hustling in 95, I probably would be a travel blog writer. Interesting. Interesting. But, you know, Africa right now, it's, well, we're still on the journey. So where would I love to go in Africa? I think I really would like to climb uh, Kilimanjaro. That's it, though. That's it, you know. That thing is like, I just, I don't know how I would feel, but I can imagine. So I think that for me is on my bucket list. Mm. And then there's a bit of fear of missing out, too, because I know a few people mm-hmm. have done it, and they described it as just how you experience all four seasons in Africa. And then oh how, goodness. you know, it's a battle between will, greed, everything they've touched about resilience, you want to give up. So I think that for me is really what I think I'm missing out of. I've had the benefit of being able to touch different places. Uh, in te- so that would be a destination in terms of something to do, an activity. I think a place would be Morocco. I I think curiosity, right? And, I, and it's really nearby, isn't it? I think curiosity. So I've never been. I, I plan to do so soon. I know I saw picture the picture of this uh, the blue streets. I forget what the name of the city now. It starts from T. Initially, I thought it was Greece. Is it Tangier? You know, Santorini. Is yeah, it? that's it. Yeah. And I was like, oh my goodness, like how? So is that curiosity? I can just imagine myself with pictures. So that for me is like the place I'd love to go to. I know. I know in the next couple of months I would I would cross that off my to do list, but yeah. Awesome. I awesome. think that would be awesome. It. Awesome. So yeah, we I guess you give us two answers to that question. There's Tanzania, uh for Kilimanjaro and um there's Morocco. It's interesting how um of all the speakers I've had, there's a very strong attraction towards uh northern Africa uh going on. I had two, three speakers to um, pick Egypt as a destination. Oh, yeah. Egypt is fantastic. I, I, I yeah. love Egypt. The combination of are you in Middle East, but you're in Africa, the food is mm-hmm. awesome. People are friendly and you know, we share heritage and history. I think Nigerian exactly. arrogance as well is probably why we say oh, <laughs> East and South is like us, so North has to be a bit more exotic. But I mean everywhere oh is beautiful God. and everywhere we is try beautiful. Conquer and see as many as we can. I do agree. I do agree. Africa has so many hidden sites. I haven't been around Africa much. I think maybe just three countries myself. There's a, um, I almost didn't count Ghana because somebody, somebody says that Ghana is the seventh state in Nigeria. Um, so <laughs> there's Ghana country. Republic, that is the 37th. You know how we just jump those two countries? We just jump Benin and Togo and just think straight of Ghana. Like it's, just, it's like a couple of countries I mean, in between. You but, can literally <laughs> stretch your hands. And you be yeah. in a republic. Exactly. So I'd actually done that road trip. So in my younger days, I had a lot more energy and I had friends like adventurous like myself. 
I done mm-hmm. the whole get in a car and then just drive down, stop in different places. Just yeah, I'm, I think it's something everyone should do. You know, should do. Sometimes we have this uh, arrogance as Nigerians, but mm. we really need to step out more and see how people live. It, it gives you a certain mindset shift mm. that I can't, I can't describe. I can't describe even from just seeing how, like, for some countries. Their life is so simple. They're like, how? Like, how can how can a country be like battle? You know, with the rustic setting, everyone taking their time. <laughs> okay, this doesn't, but sometimes. But anyway, there's many things to talk about, many things to do. God give us long life. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. I do agree the road trip. There's a colleague of mine who I think he had planned to go from Kenya to South Africa on a power bike. Um I was among those people praying that he changed his mind. I don't know if he eventually did it. I was like, this man, please don't do something as drastic as that. But I, I, I saw his perspective. It's good to just go out there and, as you said, have that mindset shift. And in fact, take it one more level, have that mindset expansion. You know, take in mm. a lot more things in this worldview and see more people. I know that just really like just one person and I don't know how many billions we are in Africa. So maybe, well, I guess the world doesn't really revolve around you or your country or states or maybe your workplace or place of work. Okay, the last rapid fire question, I guess it's on really rapid fire, is where can people go to learn more about Lola? Or at least to connect with you. Where can people go to? To learn more about you about you or maybe just connect with you. Oh, I mean as a professional, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on LinkedIn as myself. So that would probably be the fastest and the easiest way. I am not as active on Twitter, but my what I'd like to describe as my alter ego is Facebook still with my same name but there i can talk about lighter topics uh easily and stuff i did tell you uh, when we spoke the first time that i was thinking of becoming a podcaster and i have made good moves in that Mm -hmm. area so in the next couple of weeks i will be releasing a few episodes so love it so yeah (laughs) i can add i love it how to connect with me as well Yes, so please go. Do you have a name for the podcast yet, or should we keep an interruption to when I it's? Do. I actually have okay, a... please yeah, drop, it. I will drop it. So anyway, I'm not letting cut out the bag yet because I was told <laughs> it's better to not just have only your promo. I mean, like anything advertising, right? You don't create a need and not have your products ready. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to make sure mm-hmm. I have about three, and then I just release those. And yeah, it's um. So that's it. Okay. So I'm quite okay. proud of so, myself on that one. So I, I, I said I had this wish and I, I made I, I put action, I put it to action. So yeah. You've gone for it. You've gone for it. So uh folks, uh watch out for Lola. I think if you want to know about her upcoming podcast, please follow her or connect with her on LinkedIn and I'm sure she will drop the topic and the link in the next couple of days. I will be super eager to listen because I've learned so much um from you today. Don't want the questions to stop. Talked about several things about work, travel, persons, people, countries. I mean, so much, so much. And I can only imagine the type of content they're going to be dishing out, you know, um, on your on your podcast. And as people say, premium content. If I want to quote my Gen Z <laughs> cousins. Um, so yeah, I guess the final question is now for you to for us to reverse the tables. Uh, I've always, I've been the one asking the questions here, and you mm. know, uh, I think it's now time if you want to, you know, ask me as I always caveat a very easy question. <laughs> Uh, I think what's yeah, your why it. would be my first one. What's your why? What's my why? That's yeah, why I'm doing this podcast, decide... I imagine. Sorry? Yeah, please continue. Why did I decide what? So why did you decide to become a podcaster? What's your why? Interesting, interesting. Maybe because uh, I didn't have the face for YouTube. so <laughs> or tic- I didn't have the skills for TikTok. <laughs> Go to dance. <laughs> to save my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think so over the last one year, year and a half, I've been consuming quite a lot of podcast content. Uh, some people that you've mentioned, uh, people that I listen to, Adam Grant, Simon Sinek. And I felt that it'd be good to also like share our stories as well, um, African stories, because we don't really have that much of a global representation. And maybe we don't need to, but I think it's good if people are able to listen to what we have to say and you know when, what, they, what they listen to kind of connects with what their current experiences are and we can help them move forward if they're feeling stuck. Um, so that was like the first reason behind it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not doing it alone. I'm getting good people like yourself around me. The second one is I do have, and for anybody who has, you know, cared to listen to me rants, I always say that I, I, I envision a world where I'm an academic uh, towards the end of my career. 
right? So this is a world where I'm trying to get as much experience as I can to influence discussions in my classrooms because I know that, you know, one person is not an island of knowledge. Um, speaking to you and my previous podcast guests have been such an eye-opening experience for me. And I'm looking forward to, like, passing on this knowledge um, to uh, my students in the classroom or even to my colleagues at work. And, and the final one is um, something that I think I, I grew up with. I don't know if it's a compliment or more like an AFD is that I talk too much. <laughs> and I felt that, well, <laughs> since I can talk, God gave me that gift of talking. I'll just use it to do something more beneficial than just, you know, I guess we're just talking to myself uh, in the bathroom. <laughs> so those are the three reasons. Those are my three whys uh, of the podcast. And um, so far, I found it very enlightening, super transformational for me. And it's really pushed me beyond what um i typically knew before um now i'm very happy you know doing this looking forward to releasing more episodes yeah i hope that answers your question i do hope so because i don't have anything to say thank you fantastic fantastic no you thank you um for for having this conversation with me today it's uh i mean this has been great i've learned so so much from you um today and i'm sure our listeners as well you know have, have learned so much as well and they're looking to maybe play back or even implement uh the uh, conversations that we've had today i did say doing one thing for my last podcast and i, I guess if you don't mind i can have a happy to do you do here as well which is do you have something that you know you want our listeners to go away with from the questions that we've had today around living with purpose is there anything you want to say that will wrap it up in a nice bun for our listeners and like if us all take away this one or two things um today with you going going away from this podcast thanks so i, I would leave two things right uh seeing Go how tough things are being recently and just even not just nigeria globally i think the first one is if you can't be anything be kind you know and kindness is that putting yourself in the other person's shoes you know just just put yourself try and be a bit more sensitive to what people are going through and what people may be feeling. It's it's tough out there. And then I think the second thing for those of us who are career professionals and have benefited from mentorship or support for other people, um, if you don't have anyone looking out of a window you've left open, uh, then you're doing something wrong. Because the only way we can really bring more people up is to create this chain of good. Uh, this chain of progress is quite lonely at the top when you're the only one who's succeeding. So I think we need to be deliberate about bringing more people up, you know. So leave that window open. Let someone else get a chance of yes. what your view looks like. And then be kind. Uh, thank you so very much. I've had such an amazing time, you know, having this conversation with you today. And I'm sure our listeners have well uh, as well have, you know, enjoyed this conversation. I love the two things that you said to wrap us up and I'm, I'm sure, again, I personally take it to heart to be kind and even try to pay forward many times. So our listeners, thank you for reaching the end of this episode. African Workplace Insight is here to bring you much more content over the coming days. And as Lola has already mentioned, her podcast is launching very soon. So keep an eye out for that um, so that she's able, so able to share as much as she can, you know, what she has for you. Well, uh, till next time, this has been an amazing conversation and um, see you sometime again very soon. Now, next Thank episode. you so much. Uh, so now, I had a fantastic time. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Eshe Asante Niabonga. Thank you for tuning in to African Workplace Insights. I hope you found today's episode as insightful as I did. Remember, your support is invaluable, so don't hesitate to share, subscribe, and leave a review. It helps us in spreading the word. Stay tuned for more episodes and tell a friend to tell a friend that African Workplace Insights is advancing the world of work across Africa. Cheers and see you next time.